Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the 414. Today we have another very, 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 very special guest. And for the first time in the 414 podcast history, we have a guest who is not one of my fraternity brothers. Today we have Mr. Bernardo Bear Morales. Yeah. Woo. Thank you for having me. Yes, thanks for coming on, Bear. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, doing pretty well. So just before uh, we got here to the podcast studio, you were telling me about how the swim team, which so you're a diver, but the, the whole team has to go and help with the run the Colts game this weekend. What are you doing for them? So we're going to do the security part of the Colts game. We, in order to fundraise to do some of the activities we do throughout the year, uh, such as like swimming camp, we need to fund that somehow, and we just work it out, you know, do some security there, spend the entire day at the Colts Stadium. That's that's a very cool, very cool way of funding. But when you said that, and the, you and the Colts, it reminded me, so not last year, but the prior year, so our sophomore year, the Colts had, I don't even remember if it was a Monday or Thursday night football game, but it was on my birthday. I want to say it was Monday night. Eh, it might have been Thursday. Either way, they had a game on my birthday and I was all excited and wanted to go. It was against the Jets. And so I, I got a group of my fraternity brothers that said they were going to come. And then I think we got eight tickets, but then one or two guys ended up having stuff come up. And so I was like, oh man, we have these tickets. Might as well find people to come. And Bear, I asked you and you said, yeah, I'll go. And it that is indicative of the level of friendship that you have of always wanting to do stuff, but pr- deeper than that of always being very helpful uh, to me, especially in physics. So thanks for that. No, thank you. That was my first NFL game ever. So um, when I went to see the Colts, for me, it was a huge experience. And uh, actually, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the it's cool that you say that because the – George Azar, who also has been referenced, he's a huge Bears fan, but I believe that was his first ever in-person NFL game too. So that was that was really cool to see some f- football fans get to do that. But okay, as I mentioned, you are a physics guy, so one of one of the few but strong of us here. And there's been this theme throughout this entire week, not just in physics. So in senior seminar on on Monday, we were discussing diversity in physics and science overall. And it was really interesting. So to back up, we're reading a book called, what's the book called? Um, Serving the Reich, the Struggle for Physics Under Hitler. Uh, which is, I really enjoy a game called Secret Hitler, if the listeners have heard of it. It's uh, it's one of those social deduction games, a lot like Mafia or Among Us. And so when I saw that this book was assigned for this course, I told all my friends, ha, you thought Secret Hitler was funny. Wait till you hear about this book I'm reading. But the book's been, the book's been interesting. We started off in like the 1920s to early 30s, so before the war even happened and what physics looked like in there. And then as we've been moving in closer and closer to the start of the war, we're in like, 
the I just finished chapter seven, so we're up to like thirty eight now. Um, but that that reading for Monday that we did, it was basically it was talking about how a lot of what the Nazis were doing to stifle uh, a lot of physicists were obviously using their anti-Semitism uh, views and saying, oh, this this physics that these Jews are doing is bad and da 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 and so bringing their race into it. And side note, it didn't even make sense because some stuff, like some of Einstein's discoveries, the photoelectric effect and things like that, the reading was saying that the Nazis just said, oh, well, that would have been figured out anyway. So not even totally discrediting discrediting all of the work. Um, but I bring up this diversity in science conversation because we spent all class talking about that, and um, then it popped up again a couple of days later, uh, not in science context, but I was at a pre-law meeting, and at the end one of our peers asked the speaker about, no, no, I'm thinking of a different meaning. It was one of the peers asked the dean of IU Bloomington Law School about the law school's outlook on um, building a diverse class with the new affirmative action rulings. And that was very interesting. So this this idea of not just science, but diversity in um, in higher learning and pursuits of knowledge has has been on my mind all week. And then I bear myself and Dr. Brown were together and he mentioned something about you that I didn't even realize until the time that you didn't start learning English until you were what, 15, 16? Yeah, I was uh, about 15, 14, 15 when I started learning English. Yeah. That is an the part that Dr. Brown said was that Bear scored a 760 on the reading slash English portion of his SAT, and which is just absurd in general, let alone for someone so new to the language. So I wanted you to talk about your that experience just of first learning English and what that was like at a relatively late age. Um, and that, yeah, start with that. Yeah, I mean, um, I was born in the United States, and then I was raised in Mexico. So a lot of Mexican families, what they do in the border is, well, let you be born here and then take you back. So throughout my entire life, I just spoke Spanish. And it was kind of until the point that I turned 14 that I actually started learning English because we moved to the United States when I was in eighth grade. And... My school only spoke Spanish, and then I started learning um, English throughout that age. So that was what, beginning of high school? So before that, I was in, like, a special class because I couldn't comprehend much um, English. And then, well, the rest is history. Um, I got a lot of help from my professors and my teachers um, to adapt because... Well, I was studying in the United States. Um, all my friends, uh, my professors speak, spoke uh, in Spanish, so that was definitely uh, a hard thing to do, uh, but we got through it for sure. Wait, so even even when you moved in high school to the U.S., you were still learning in Spanish? Yeah, because when I was in sixth grade, um, so I moved to the United States when I was, I think, 
13, 14. Yeah, uh, that was eighth grade, okay. beginning of ninth grade. Um, but I enrolled in school when I was in sixth grade uh, because my parents did not like the school that I was back in Mexico. It was getting very violent back there, and they wanted me to go to a different school uh, because the one that I was at had, like, a, a huge shooting between, you know, criminals and gang members and police. So my parents didn't want me to go to Mexico anymore. Uh, and then when I moved in sixth grade, I didn't understand English whatsoever because of my school, they didn't, they didn't teach me that. Um, so I, I didn't know a single word that was said to me by any of my teachers throughout sixth grade. I just went by. Um, but all my friends spoke Spanish with me. So that was pretty nice. I got a good friend of guys. Uh, and it was until eighth grade that my teacher realized that I didn't, I wasn't understanding anything because I was doing poor in English. I was doing good in math, which it was similar to what we were learning in Mexico. Um, and then it was until ninth grade that I really got into grinding and learning a little bit about uh, English. So, okay. So by the time you got to Wabash, so so you had that you had that high English SAT score, but where, where were you at of your ability to learn and um, conversate? Uh, I think I got better uh, through high school. So I think when I got to Wabash, it was still a little bit difficult because, I mean, again, I'm from South Texas, and the English vocabulary kind of changes when you come here. Uh, I mean, one of the first things that got me in shock is one of my brothers said pop, and I was like, what, what is that? And it was after minutes of explaining that I learned that was soda. soda. So um, there's definitely words um, that are not the same or different, you know, um, slangs people use. That was kind of difficult. But in general, I think the professors had a good approach to me. Uh, one of the, my favorite professors was Dr. Gates. Uh, I was actually able to talk to him about it because, you know, when you learn advanced math, um, they use a lot of high vocabulary. Um, and one of the things for me is that I learned really good English, but I didn't learn, you know, the high vocabulary that you might use commonly math that you've been learning since you were a kid. Um, because for me that started, you know, when I was in high school. I could, I could see that being an issue in like linear algebra when he's talking about linearly independent and we're starting using matrices and yeah, just, it's, it's not the same, but similar in whether it's physics or math. When, when they start bringing, I'm better now, especially after taking a few years of Greek here at Wabash, but um, especially in high school and the f beginning of Wabash, when they start bringing in these variables that are Greek letters, it's like you have to, it's hard to understand the math because first you're trying to understand what the letters even mean. One that shouldn't matter because they're just symbols, same as X, Y, and Z, but they're foreign to you. And so, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. I mean, uh, I took abstract algebra last semester, and that was definitely hard on me because I it's basically proof. You have to do proofs the entire time. And for me, that I didn't, I mean, I, I know how to speak, I know how to write, I know how to do everything, but it sometimes couldn't cross my mind um, how to do it. And I actually used, I talked to Dr. Insaldi, and she told me that if I wanted to use a Spanish book, I could use it. And it, it just aids me to, to like put the words and the problems together um, because sometimes, sometimes it does get hard. I usually think in English 
by translating in Spanish first. So if you say something to me, I'll translate into Spanish and then it makes sense. Uh, and now it's kind of automatic before it used to take a long time. Uh, so that's usually how I, you know, speak English or vice versa. Good, good. That's, that's cool that she allowed you to do that. Oh, and it makes sense. So back to the diversity in science discussion. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, I think one of the, one of the main factors of why we were saying that it is important is because it drives innovation. And so uh, Sally Ride, if you listeners know the name, she was the first female astronaut and to go, to go to space when she came in with a group of five others, so six total, but she was the first to actually go to space. And when they were, you know, designing the rocket and getting ready, the, the previous bathroom system that they had was more or less, it was, the reading said that men, the male astronauts would use a condom-like, uh, structure to go pee yeah. um it didn't mention how they how and if they went went uh poop but <laughs> nevertheless um when when she came around they they had to innovate and um came up with a more advanced bathroom system and so that that's just one example of the the innovation that comes with diversity and i think is a very good very good consequence of it yeah, I mean, I agree that um, diversity actually helps and improves sciences because as we were talking uh, with that same astronaut, when they were going to send her tampons, they said, how many does she need for a week? A hundred. If I was to ask the same question to one of my sisters, they would be like, you're, you're crazy. Yeah. I mean, that, is, that is something that you don't need. But you need that perspective from someone that, you know, experiences that. And nonetheless... If you have people from other countries helping you, right, it's like putting the pieces of a puzzle together. You know, you have maybe your research, someone else's research, and you combine that thing and can create something amazing. So I think diversity is definitely helpful. And, I mean, we saw uh, the diversification of NASA happening in the more recent years, which is good because, I mean, look at SpaceX, look at all these different companies that have improved and done a lot more is because they've open themselves to to diversity yes and however one of the probably the most controversial area i would say is race especially in the affirmative action context and so also in class we were reading one of justice chief justice roberts quotes that i don't remember but it was along the lines of how does how does race? How does someone's race bring uh, something to the table? Bring something to the table yes. in the science room, and the on the one hand, you you somewhat, I, maybe not you, but on the one hand, I somewhat see what he's saying of science is supposed to be empirical, so the race of a person shouldn't matter. Um, however, what I think. What I think when it comes to diversity and even affirmative action is it's not it's not the diversity of of 
skin color or gender um, that that we need and we want. It's the diversity of thought processes that is important because that is what the the um, an, an amalgamation of thought processes is what gives you that different perspectives and ability to innovate and drive forward. Now, what I think happens is with both gender and especially race is that there's this strong correlation between different thought processes and race. And so that's where I'm, I'm cautious about, I'm cautious about saying we need to bring in this person because he's black or because he's white, but I do, I do think bringing people in for their different perspectives, ideas, again, thought processes is what's very important. I mean, yeah, I could agree with that. I mean, one of the things um, I'm told sometimes by like one of my professors is that my education in liberal arts school is very beneficial, especially as an engineer. Um, and, and I agree, you know, that's one of the main points I give to any employer um, is that, you know, my my background is different from other engineers, which means that I can give you a different perspective. And sometimes companies just want a different perspective. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be, you know, a different race, right? You, you can really be anybody. You just have to bring a different perspective on the table. Um, and, and yeah, I think I think that's good, especially for to advance in in this world. Well, and so you you were talking about your surprise of, with the pop versus soda, and so over the summer I was visiting my friend at Ohio State, and his his like house was um, leasing a room to a kid from Virginia for, just for the summer, and so we all went out to eat and that kid tagged along and somehow suckers got brought up. When we were talking about suckers, I think I was eating one, um, a dum-dum, I believe. And the kid just had this expression on his face. He had never heard the word suckers before. The We asked, oh, what would you call this? And he said, lollipop. And we kind of bantered and said, oh, you know, lollipops are the actual, like, big, like, fancy ones, whereas suckers... Uh, describe, you know, like blow pops, Tootsie Roll, Dum Dum, stuff like that, the littler. Um, but yeah, so he had never heard the word. And however, the that was because he was from Virginia. And so like it, there was this disconnect between us, even though obviously I'm Filipino, but everything, everyone else was white. And so, yes, like you're saying, it doesn't always necessarily matter the race, but the culture that you're in that can drive those differences. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, yeah, I've never heard the word soccer before now. Like, you never heard that either? No, I, I always call it lollipops. You know, because you have the Tootsie Pops. Right. You know, pop, and it's just a lollipop. Yeah. You know. Suckers. No. Well, there you go. There you go. That's funny. But, um, so, you're an engineer in heart, in mind, in soul, and the... Something that just amazes me about you, so also for the senior seminar course, we had to do a project proposal, not the actual projects, which was kind of nice, but just a proposal for a project. 
And so we're sitting there in class, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then Bear raises his hand, and he's like, oh, you know, we could do some double slit diffraction with concrete barriers in order to, I don't know why I'm making you sound like this, but <laughs> in order to um, try and stop tsunamis from uh, hurting Japan as badly because when we diffract them and get the... Uh, destructive interference patterns we can stop some points and the fact that you thought of that on the fly and had such a physics brain going on just amazed me because though I'm a major that's just not something I can do yeah I mean I think for me I just been especially because with advanced lab that we have to take um I feel like really inspired and looking at things and trying to find, you know, ways to test stuff. So, I mean, I did the spoiler thing. I wanted to look at aerodynamics. I wanted to develop my own uh, spoiler, my own airfoils. And I just I just look at things and, and think about ways to make them better. And I think the Japan thing, the um, double slit interference came because we were looking at the, what was it? The way to generate energy by putting... Um, it was those turning things underneath the water. Yeah. Yes, I remember. So I was, yeah, it just it just comes up to my head, like, ways to, to fix solutions and problems. Um, and, yeah, that as, a, as an engineer, you I think that's the, the best way to use your mind. And I'm glad I took the physics uh, major because it gives me access to those foundational theories. I don't think I would have thought about that before taking physics because they probably don't teach that in engineering. Right. They just do everything that is applied rather than all this theoretical work. So And so with your engineering you want to go and you want to do race cars, right? That's your passion? Yeah, I wanted to do race cars. I wanted to work in Formula One. Uh, right now I'm a little bit of moving towards probably aeronautical engineering just because I feel like it's a little bit more sustainable long-term, like if I want to get married, if I want to have kids. Uh, because with Formula One, you travel a lot. I mean, uh, right now they have, I think, 24 races. That's 24 different countries you have to visit in one year, not including testing and data information that you have to gather and making assumptions and all that stuff. So it definitely gets hard as you get older. I don't want to be like 40 years old and... You know, we're taking fatherhood, and we know one of the things is being there with the children. So I don't want to be that kind of dad that is just not there because, you know, they're they're trying to end the world. Yeah, I completely get that. And so do is maybe doing Formula One for a few years after college to get that experience. And is that something you have your eyes on, maybe? Yeah, I mean, right now I am applying to uh, three teams in in England. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm also applying a couple like uh, aeronautical engineering programs, um, but if I don't get to accomplish that dream now, I think I'll do that for when I retire, because I don't want to retire. I want to continue just doing engineering, having fun, building crazy stuff. So maybe when I'm done and I retire, I'll be like, "All right, wife, you're staying. Here. <laughs> I'm gonna go to Europe and accomplish my my childhood dream." Well, there you go, there you go, and that so you're. What you just said there about wanting to always build stuff, that I think is the, encapsulates the distinction between us. And so let me say more. So my high school physics teacher who, so he studied physics at Notre Dame and he was telling me 
that, you know, he thought he was going to go on, get his Ph.D., and, you know, do the whole physics professor and research and be a, be a physicist. And he realized at, during his undergrad that a lot of the guys studying physics with him loved physics quite a bit more than him, and he thought maybe continuing on wasn't for him. And he's doing well now, so so glad that worked out. And so that's that, that that's very much how I feel about you and Nick and even not even but Aiden too. Of and I and the, maybe the difference between me and my high school teacher was I I knew that coming in that I wasn't in love with it, but just you guys, you with your um, rocket stuff that you're doing, and Nick does his own outside of class projects as well. The it's very cool to see, and I I'm glad that I'm glad that I've got some true physicists as my friends. Yeah, I mean, I I never thought I was ever gonna major in physics, um, but I'm definitely glad because I feel that if I'm able to do physics, I'm able to to anything in my life. I mean, any person that takes any physics course knows that it's just a difficult class in general. It's a lot of information you have to digest. Um, it's a lot of critical thinking. And I feel that after taking physics, the rest is just so easy. And I, I, I sure, I'm sure you feel the same way whenever you like, you want to be a lawyer and you want to, you know, with your future and taking the LSATs and all that. It was really easy to take, to do that because you already went through a hard period of time, you know, probably taking quantum physics and relativity and all that stuff. It really shaped you up to be, you know, a better person than you thought you were going to be. Oh, you're not lying. Especially, it was, it's especially funny when we're sitting there in class and one of the professors says, you know, I didn't really understand any physics in undergrad either, so you guys are fine. That was pretty funny. No, absolutely. Uh, and it's cause it, it does get really difficult unless you're like, a really, really genius, like, I would say, like, Nikolai or, or Fardin, who just gets it the first time. Yeah, they're, they're smart, smart. It, it's generally good for your professor, like like Dr. Tompkins, to just assimilate with you, like, hey, the first time I, I learned this, I didn't learn so well. This is not my area of expertise. Like, it just gives you that confidence of, like, okay, I'm not a failure. I'm doing well. I should not get over my head uh, because it's really difficult stuff you're learning. Yeah, it's it's really nice to, to have people kind of, remind you that they've been in your shoes and that it'll all work out. Yeah. So actually, uh, a total pivot here, but confidence and uh, the other people believing in you goes such a far way. And now I have a maybe silly example, but a couple nights ago, as the freshmen in Fiji were uh, finishing up cleaning the kitchen, I... I came in from outside and they're they're bumming some tunes and dancing and having some fun. And so then I came in doing some silly dance moves myself and then they're hyping me up, giving me that hey, hey, hey and it, and it was cool, but I was thinking about it and I was like it's so funny because I I had them supporting me and making me feel good and it was fun nice little time but that if i were at some other social gathering where i didn't have a group of people really lifting me up that 
I could be doing those exact same dance moves and feel so uncomfortable and like I was getting stared at and judged and and but I've been doing the exact same thing and as as maybe small and silly again as that example is it I think it really does go to show that when people support each other it makes tangible changes uh, no definitely I agree I mean um in 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 our school i feel like we have a lot of support for one another uh even though we're different fraternities different living units different majors i think all of us support each other and i think we end up lifting each other up um i feel like within my fraternity you know um i came here very socially awkward um and the guys just make me feel like at home and whenever they start motivating you every day like hey let's go to class let's do this it kind of changes your mindset. It kind of changes your attitude toward things. And I, I really, really agree with you. Yeah. That, and yes, and that's that's one of my biggest selves when I'm trying to get guys to the, to the fraternity. It's, hey, if you want to be in a place, if you want to surround yourself with guys that who will make you better and push you to excel, then you should join our house. And exactly. So speaking of, what is your fraternity? My fraternity is Phi Delta Theta. Phi Delta Theta, also known as the Top House on Wabash's campus. Top House, yes, sir. Hashtag Top House, baby. Yep. Uh, yeah, I joined there. I actually accepted my bid before coming to Wabash. Uh, was Once I was set on coming to Wabash, then I accepted my bid, and I've had an amazing time there. I mean, being away from home and going to a fraternity is definitely a huge move because you create this unique bond. Uh, that like for instance Thanksgiving and Christmas I'm spending it at one of my brother's house so that that's something I don't think I would have had anywhere else in any other college that easiness of just being hey guys I'm not gonna be able to go home can anyone um, like stay with me and every brother is willing to offer that place that's something you don't find anywhere else that's pretty awesome I'm, I'm glad you have that and so the the Fidel Fiji relationship is kind of funny because our underclassmen, sophomore class in particular, have had their beef a little bit. And but it's funny because the my closest friends not in Fiji the are Fidels for the most part, and so it's it, it it's funny watching the young guys have their thing. But then at the end of the day, like you're saying, we're all these Wabash brothers, so. Yeah, no, I, I really love the fraternity beef. Uh, I, I just love drama. Like, whenever, you know, there's freshman activities, you know, homecoming, stuff like that, they have to paint the bench. I love seeing that conflict because you you can see a bunch of freshman growth. And then now that we're older, of course, we're all friends. Um, you, me, a couple guys in the house. We know each other and we hang around. But we know that freshmen will get there soon. They just need to get over that conflict first. And then they'll they'll have that tie brotherhood uh, bond that we have now. So let's talk about our own freshman experience then. <laughs> so as I've noted before, you know this was the COVID year, and so we didn't we didn't meet um, at all that first semester. Class class was all on Zoom, but I think we maybe had a lab together in the second yes, semester. Yes, yeah. and so that's that's when we met. Um, but my freshman year, I had very, very long hair until I cut it. The, it was actually, it, it worked out well. 
I was, after football season, my senior year of high school, I was thinking it'd be kind of fun to grow it out and see what happens. And then a few months later, COVID happened, so it was the perfect excuse to not get a haircut. And so anyway, it, it got really long. And you have told me since what you've thought about my long hair and that you even thought I was two separate people between the cuts. Yeah, so freshman year, Hoven had very, very long hair. And, you know, coming from Texas, South Texas, you know, you don't see a lot of people with long hair. Um, and I thought for the first time I saw a person that was an emo. And I was, I was really hyped. But I couldn't talk to him because we had Zoom. So, you know, I'll just pin him in my Zoom tab and just be, like, staring at him. But, no, uh, and then whenever you cut your hair short, I was like, oh, that guy dropped out. And then I met you. And I think it was until sophomore year that I realized that <laughs> you guys were the same person. Uh, so, yeah, no, freshman year was, was a complete... It was so weird, definitely. Yeah. Something else. So, the as the Wabash shenanigans go, every now and then, someone will organize a fight night uh, with with gloves and headgear, and you know, relatively safe. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you and Nick fight? Yes, actually, this is really funny. So, for Halloween, I dressed as Nacho Libre, and yep. I made my own costume. So, I had it saved in my armor, and I was going to head home uh, early um, because my grandparents passed away. So, I was going to head early home. And then, one of my, my uh, Pledge Brothers comes up and is like, Barrett, before you go, there's a fight night happening right now. And I was like, oh, cool. And he's like, you should dress as Nacho Libre and go. And I was like, okay. So, again, I haven't met Nick at this point. You know, we were just in Zoom, never had lab with him. So I didn't know who he was. And it was just later on until I realized, I think those are the same people. And then we kind of talked about it. But I go, I address Nacho Libre. I pull up, and then Nick and I just go at it. And it's the funnest time in my life. I think I, I, I felt so happy during that time. I was like, and Nick was a wrestler, so I was scared. And it, it was an amazing uh, moment. I still have some of the videos and. They're wonderful to watch. The and yes, I I wasn't I wasn't present in in the moment, but yeah, I've seen the videos. But to give some background to the listeners, so our our little group of three in physics that we hang out a lot was so myself, so from Indianapolis, so closer to Wabash, kind of the Indiana representative representative, and then Bear, as you've heard, uh, from Mexico and Texas, and then Nick is from Alaska. And so it's a it's a nice uh, like we were saying it's a nice combination of perspectives and thought processes. But yes, that was the funniest part because I was with you guys when we were talking about it, and you simultaneously had the revelation that you fought each other. It was so funny. Yeah, no, uh, it. I mean, I remember being told uh, that this guy is a wrestler from Alaska, and nothing crossed my mind because I never had met Nick. Right. And it was until that moment that Nick was like. I fought somewhere and I looked like Nacho Libre, and I was like, oh, maybe we <laughs> did fight each other. And it was really funny because I have no fighting experience, and I was just going ham at it, and my mask was just covering me. And then when Nick would throw a punch, I would just, like, swerve really hard. And, oh, man, it's, a, it's an amazing time. Amazing freshman moments to yes, be. To good be times, fun. good times. Anything else on your mind? No, well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I love having conversations with you. It's always new and exciting to 
to talk about different subjects for sure. Absolutely. Well, cool. Um, I, we, I think we'll call it there then. Thank you again for coming on. Um, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Bye.